Hello and welcome to the CF Rheumatology Author Interview Podcast. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane. And today I'm joined by an international colleague. We're very lucky to, for him to give his time, Professor Rene Westhovens, who's Emeritus Professor of Rheumatology at the KU Leuven in Belgium and a long track record of clinical research in rheumatoid arthritis. Welcome, Renee. It's great to you to give up your time for us. Tell us a little bit about what's happening in Belgium with COVID and how it's affected your practice. Oh, you know, I was fortunate just to uh, pass into pension. So I became emeritus and then four months later came COVID. <laughs> so and because I do not have any more patient duties, and I can continue my research. I'm not that impacted as so much, but my eldest daughter, she is a geriatrician and she is running already for nine months a COVID department. So that's, uh, so that's the way I'm involved. And is the vaccine available in Belgium? Is everyone being vaccinated? Well, uh, the people that are in, uh, the elderly people are almost all already uh, vaccinated and they are now in the process of vaccinating the healthcare uh, people so the first line is already vaccinated and i think that i will be vaccinated next week this week or next week perfect so let's get straight to matters at hand and we're here to discuss your paper recently published in ard um, that's looking at the use of filgotinib with and without methotrexate versus methotrexate monotherapy in patients with active but early rheumatoid arthritis. The phase three randomized controlled Finch three trial of which you're the first author. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the JAK scene in Belgium and particularly what's going to happen with Fulgotinib given the FDA response to Fulgotinib? Well, as you probably know, uh, I was already involved in filgotinib research from the phase two on. So I was a PI also from the phase two. So I have a nice overview over the last eight, nine years. And uh, actually in Belgium, uh, it is going to be marketed very soon. I think they are waiting for the last approval and they expected it within, let's say three, four months, the latest. And as you know, FDA has not approved or didn't want to approve the highest dose better. But uh, in Europe, EMA approved and Japan appro approved. So uh, we have no problems. And we can come later to that when we look to the data. Okay. And a little bit about the jack market in Belgium. How's TOFA going, Barry going, UPA yeah. going? What's, what kind of penetration has it had into the RA market? Well, what we see is that there is a rapidly increasing part of the market uh, taken by the Jacks. And up till now, it was mainly Tofa and Bari, because Bari is also approved in Europe at four milligram. And uh, UPA is uh, rapidly increasing, but Bari has an, a, a, an important increase in uptake recently. Uh, and if you see, for instance, um, I think that the jacks are taking part of the market also of the biologicals. And I don't know why and, and how, 
uh, is this only oral or is this the new one, the newest drug that is uh, the most popular? I think we will wait for the future. And if you see the latest, uh, let's say, results of uh, the post-marketing safety trial uh, with uh, TOFA, then you will ask yourself, how is this going to uh, evolve? We'll come back to that, I think. But what about um, the, the, the question of um, monotherapy in your country? Is it common? Is it no. a jack space? Is it Actemra space? What's going on? Well, still in our country, I think most of the people uh, treat in combination with methotrexate. I think, uh, as you know, I, my focus on research was always in early RA, and I'm a fan of methotrexate. And you will see also in this trail, in this trial, that methotrexate is not so bad. And and I think in Belgium we treat mostly in combination. If uh, there is uh, a problem with methotrexate, then I think some might choose for an IL-6 blocker, but the IL-6 blockade has not that much penetration in Belgium. The most prescribed drug is still etanacept, so or the uh, originator or the uh, biosimilar etanacept. And sometimes also etanacept is used in monotherapy. And now what we see now is a gradual uptake uh, of checks and uh, with a less uptake with the IV infliximab somewhat less uptake of adalimumab, etanacept stays quite stable. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. Just before, you mentioned biosimilars. Have the biosimilars made an impact in your country? Well, well the interesting thing is we were the last one to have an uptake of biosimilars. Nowadays, in RA, I think one-third of the patients uh, on biologicals are put on a biosimilars. And the interesting uh, observation nowadays, the most interesting observation is that the, let's say, saving of costs uh, by the biosimilar uptake is completely overruled by the increase in uptake of the jacks that are uh, coming at an increased price. So they did not make profit. But they always say you can treat more patients. But have the access rules changed? Can, well, can you no, still well, not treat people you want to because of the access difficulty? To be honest, Peter, in Belgium, we have no access problems. We have a, a, a small country with easy access to GPs, easy access to rheumatologists, good collaboration between GPs and uh, rheumatologists. And actually, we managed to see most of the patients within two, three months uh, of the, the, the disease. There is, you know, quite liberal system. Uh, we have good reimbursement rules. So we don't have actually a problem. This might be for other countries, I mean, but not in Belgium. Right. I meant really that you have to fail two conventional synthetics yeah. before you get to anything. Is that the case in Belgium? Or could you go This is theoretically the case. Yes, theoretically, this is the case. Uh, but, you know, methotrexate is mostly part of this. If you have to fail another one, uh, most of the people use sulfasalazine or liflonomide or even uh, an antimalarial, but for a short time. And, and, right. and it's not only this failing, but the speed uh, you make your decisions. Yes. And many countries, you can't go straight to a jack with early disease. No. 
have to treat for a while. In Belgium, could you, like this particular trial is looking at nope. methotrexate versus monofilgo? No, actually, we could not. So we okay. could not start with a biological, neither a jack from beginning. And in, okay. there's an interesting question, uh, Peter, because we are currently uh, doing a, a big trial, an independent investigator-initiated trial, where we put every patient on methotrexate and bridging glucocorticoids. And after two months already, when you are not sufficiently controlled, you can be randomized to or temporary a biological or uh, an increase of, let's say, the cheap drugs. Okay. And, and, and this will give us a lot of information about the real place of biologicals or jacks in this very early disease. And remember, yeah. the, the, the North Star trial could not see uh, really an important uh, benefit of starting from the beginning. All right. Well, let's talk about your trial. Tell us a little bit about the trial design and yeah. what was the aim of the trial? Well, this, the trial design is a classical part of a classical phase three program. Huh? And uh, it is in early, or I should say better, a DMARC naive disease. We come back to that. Um, and as you know, the classical other uh, uh, trials are methotrexate refractory and biological insufficient responders. This is a huge trial, where, uh, which is uh, in 2112 randomization, uh, looking for 200 milligram filgotinib plus methotrexate, 100 milligram plus methotrexate, filgotinib 200 milligram monotherapy, and uh, 200 milligram uh, methotrexate only. This is a 1,250 patient trial, classically well randomized, well blinded. Uh, but of course, to note is this is not a classical placebo controlled trial. There's an active comparator. There's actually no placebo uh, arm. This is important to understand the results, I think. And, um, you know, the primary endpoint was at six months, but this is a one year trial. And a okay. trial that is run, or that was run over the world with about 10% also participation in Eastern Asia. Okay. Well, that's important for a disaster signal. Correct. Um, well, I noticed that you had about 20 odd percent discontinuations, which is not a lot. Yep. But there seem to be differences between the methotrexate plus filgo versus the methotrexate alone, in that you had almost two or three times less discontinuations in the filgo methotrexate com arms compared to the MTX. Yeah. And you had almost twice as many people drop out for lack of efficacy in the methotrexate arm. So that's of interest. Well, that's of interest, of course. And this is the question also of what is this methotrexate arm, really? Uh, first of all, we should note that the, in the, the, let's say the baseline characteristics of these patients are really particular. Why? Well, these are so-called methotrexate naive, but 40% is already on steroids. So that means this is just showing that this is... Uh, that let's say the standard of care, the standard of therapy over the world is not perfect. <laughs> I, I could say that's one. So there are many patients that were already on steroids, not yet on methotrexate. Secondly, to understand methotrexate and all this, this is also methotrexate was now delivered by the sponsor, while perhaps 
uh, you know, in these countries it is difficult to get and so on. And third, of course, uh, I think, uh, you know, I think the standard of care and, and the way people are handling and perceptions mean disease duration, mean disease duration was almost two years. And the median disease duration is 0.4 years. That means four or five months. So that means that 35% of the patients in this trial are, have already a disease over one year and only treated by uh, uh, glucocorticoids, not yet by a DMART, which is amazing. amazing. And I think this, this adds to the, let's say, discussion about why not, or yes, breaching glucocorticoids in early disease. Actually, this is not the problem. The problem is starting with glucocorticoids in early disease without DMARTs. And mind you, they still had 16 swollen joints. They still had plenty of active disease, even, yeah. even a year later. Yeah. And they weren't on a DMART. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about the primary endpoints, yeah. the secondary endpoints, and the hierarchical testing and what happened. Yeah, this is a nice, a nice dis way of discussion. What, what happens is, you know, they pre-decided, so they predefined a hierarchical testing uh, statistical method. Actually, they had even two, one for the uh, FDA and one for the EMA. <laughs> so there are two slightly different hierarchical testing systems, which is uh, to make it more, even more complex. So the primary outcome was ACR20 after six months. Uh, secondary outcomes were, let's say, ACR50, 70, DAS, and uh, all the patients reported outcome and the X-ray later on. Eh? And then, of course, secondary outcomes are also all these parameters at one year. Hierarchical testing, uh, you know, was in this way that you first went for ACR20, 200 plus methotrexate compared to methotrexate, then 100 milligram plus methotrexate compared, and then you had also the, uh, the, 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 the dust response for this too, and, and, at the, and then afterwards then came monotherapy. So this was put, let's say, later on in the hierarchical, hierarchical testing. And if you see to the, if you look to the results of the primary outcome, the primary outcome was nicely met with a 200 milligram plus one or 100 milligram plus methotrexate was not met with a monotherapy. And if you look, look to the P it was 0 0.058. <laughs> so they nearly that, missed this. Was that an NRI? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the, the, what, what I think is important when we look to this monotherapy outcome that was not, primary outcome that was not met, is first of all, methotrexate was very effective, probably also because they delivered the drug. Secondly, of course, methotrexate is a, a slowly working drug. If they would have taken the primary endpoint as sometimes happens at three, four months, they would easily have met it. If they would have gone for ACR50, ACR70, or DAS response as primary outcome, they would have met it. So this is a kind of all, uh, let's say, things that play a role in that. And of course, it, it, it's a kind of perception issue. But if you miss it, then you miss every it. other statistical measure is nominal, yeah. and you can't make real conclusions about yeah. them, which is yeah. very tricky. 
You know, and I, I completely agree. But if, if you look to the curves of efficacy, uh, forgotten 100 milligram plus methotrexate and monotherapy, they are overlying each other. Okay. I was going to ask you that there appears to be a dose response. Yeah. Combo is always better than mono. Yeah. The dose response, 100 combo to 200 combo. Yeah, I think 200 milligram in combination with methotrexate is clearly better than 100 milligram, although the statistical in between difference uh, cannot really make much comments, but it's clear from all curves. And I think it's in line with all reports we see from more trials that let's say, the, first of all, the combination is better than monotherapy. And here in this particular case, 200 milligram is clearly more efficacious than 100 milligram. And this okay. is related to the efficacy. We can come back to the safety later on. Okay. And as you say, ACR 15, ACR 70 would have been good. People always argue, oh, but you can't rely on the DAS 28 CRP because of mechanism of action of the JAKs. Yeah. So tell us about the CDIs yeah. and then tell us about the imaging. Yeah. Of course, CDI and SDI were all also looked at. Uh, and of course, this is also nominal statistics when we look to that. Uh, but clearly, you see uh, no problem there. So if you replace DAS uh, uh, CRP by SDI or CDI, the message would be exactly the same. Right. Um, I can't recall, did the 200 mono CDI beat methotrexate? Yeah. Okay, so I that's think, good. Yeah. And the imaging? Well, imaging is interesting. First of all, uh, we had imaging at six months and at one year in the paper. If you look to the six months, there is interesting uh, result that the 200 milligram mono is nominal statistically difficult, difficult, uh, different from methotrexate, which is amazing. And, and not 200 milligram plus methotrexate or 100 milligram plus methotrexate. But the main message here is that X-ray damage overall in this trial is low to very low. By the way, partly this could be due to the high glucocorticoid use, because we do know that glucocorticoid use, and as I said, 40% already had glucocorticoids before the trial, and this was kept stable <laughs> in a dose of six, seven milligram mean a day. So this means that this could have to do with a low uh, X-ray damage over time. But if you look to the, and if you also, if you look to the number of, uh, patients that did not have any progress at all, you know, actually the, the, the main conclusion is there is no major damage overall. And you see at one year, some difference between the filled doses complete compared to methotrexate. Right. Now, the other thing is curious because we're used to JAKs having a pain efficacy, yeah. like the RA beam select compare um, Finch one, where the swollen joint counts don't change much, but pain scores significantly better than adalimumab, physician global, patient global. The pains didn't seem to be too different to methotrexate. Well, actually, we did not yet focus in detail on the pain because, you know, I think for many of the competitors, they, from the beginning, focused really on this uh, pain aspect. I don't think that we are that worse. And, and, and I just quote one of my uh, patients in the very early uh, trials that after two weeks said to me, doctor, are you sure you were not giving me steroids? So there is a rapid uh, 
effect felt by the patients. But we did not yet focus really in detail. We will do in the, in the, in the future. So we, we focus on pain. We will come out with a specific pain paper. And we also, I can already tell you that we will report major uh, pain improvements also with filgotinib. But we did not focus for this trial on, the, uh, on this outcome. I was always taught that these drugs don't cross the blood-brain barrier. Yeah. So that pain response yeah. might be peripheral nerves where there's a lot of IL-6 yeah. and a lot of GMCSF for that matter. Yeah, it might be peripheral. It might be also, in, in my research, uh, independent research in early RA, I always focus also on the speed of response. And actually, we, we in another trial, without biologicals, without jacks, we uh, showed that speed of response, having a, a, a good response within the first two, three months is independently predicting uh, uh, patient reported outcomes at one and at two years. Right. Okay, well, let's, so efficacy is there, dose response, combo better than mono, the 200 didn't beat the MTX, but um, clearly, 200 mono, 200 combo better than 100 combo. Yep. Tell us a little bit about safety because this drug is being, I suspect, going to be marketed as fourth jack to market, but no VTE, no, no Zoster signal. What happened in this trial? Well, what happens in this trial, and you know, as I said, this is the uh, six months. The, the, the primary outcome was at six months. I personally, as a PI, insisted to wait for publication till one year. Because we could have reported it already when the uh, uh, primary outcome was known at six months, then we would have had a publication earlier. I insisted to wait for one year. Why? Because in early disease, and knowing and seeing all the jacks in all trials and also seeing the phase two with filgotinib, I was thinking, well, you know, there will not be that different, that much difference in six months regarding efficacy. When we will have something different than it would be perhaps on safety. And for safety, I think you better wait for one year to, to judge this. And, and, and if you look now to this trial, we report safe, detailed safety data over one year, then clearly there is almost no difference seen in between the groups. And this means that some side effects were even a little bit higher in the methotrexate only group. So uh, this is amazing. And there is also nothing to see as a, like a, a dose dependent increase in safety issues. So the 200 milligram plus methotrexate, 100 milligram plus methotrexate uh, seem a little bit the same. And then the specific side effects of attention that of interest, there you have, uh, let's say, uh, almost nothing. Uh, it means the uh, educated mace is, 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 is nothing. There are some thrombobolic events in the methotrexate arm, not in the fill, uh, fill arms. And, you know, there's only 1% of zoster. And this, despite that indeed 10% of the patients came from Eastern Asia. And I think if I remember well, six or 7% came from Japan. And we are currently working on a separate uh, Japanese uh, report of the patients included in this trial. And I, I, I looked into the detail. They, they, they had just one uh, Zoster uh, patient in the Japanese population on, on 60, 70 uh, inclusion. 
And methotrexate, as you say, had a pneumocystis and a cryptococcus. Yep. And you didn't really see um, opportunist infection yep. in the Fulgo yep. arms. Yeah, correct. And, and there was and, no and safety difference between the two doses. Yeah. And important is also to mention that in this trial, we uh, increased methotrexate up till 18 milligram mean at six months. So there's a reasonable dose. I think 18 milligram mean is rather uh, in the high rank if you compare to other trials. Sure. Now, um, this sperm count business, what do you make of fulgotinib and spermatogenesis? And was, was an issue in any of the young people in this study, for example, you did have majority over 65, but there must have been some young men. Yeah. So first of all, there are no reports. And we, and of course, in the phase three, we look to that because this issue, this potential issue is already known from the phase two. And I can already say it's not yet published, but in the phase two, we looked to testosterone levels already uh, and there was nothing coming out. Of course, you have to note that men are, let's say, less included than women, young less than old. So you end up with rather few patients to judge this. And you always should be very uh, careful uh, and, 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 and you know, reluctant to make major conclusions, I think. But as you know, we will know it in, in, in a few months huh? because there is a separate uh, trial running and I helped the people to design this trial. And we will see if something is coming out. Of course, mm -hmm. this is a focus um, that, has, that, that has been perceived also in the global uh, public and on the stock market and so on. <laughs> and, and it's amazing to see how things that can be perceived have influence and some things that are not perceived have no influence. It means if you look, for instance, to an int very interesting uh, results in this trial, is that you see an increase in hemoglobin over time in all the three, all the four arms of this, uh, of this trial, for instance. And this is also, this was also the case in phase two. So you have a dose-dependent increase of hemoglobin. So that means that making patients better, controlling inflammation, you reduce the anemia of inflammation, so you improve anemia. If and you I compare would... that with other jacks, then you clearly see different results, but this is not in the perception. No, no, I would suggest that um, most patients would just like to see that this sperm change is reversible, like sulfasalazine, which we use. And that the anemia, lack of it, means you're not suppressing JAK2, even as you push the dose. So I do think that's going to be uh, a potential on the safety side. So can you tell us a little bit about tapering? Is there any tapering data in this study? Well, the interesting thing is that I think, indeed, uh, you know, we have now 200 milligram showing very, to be very efficacious and safe, and 100 milligram a little, a little bit less efficacious, but, but also safe, and there's no difference between the safety. So I think having two uh, dosages uh, approved would be ideal for, let's say, managing uh, patients with tapering. And I, uh, I, mm -hmm. I, I explain myself, specifically also in early disease, of course. Why would you continue to treat a patient with 200 milligram plus methotrexate 
if the, if he or she is in complete control after six months or one year, I think most of us as being clinicians would consider tapering. So I think this should be formally studied. And you also know that in the past, biologicals uh, were rather lately studied for tapering, I think for commercial reasons. And my, I personally uh, was reporting, for instance, for Abatacept, a tapering trial after two years in early disease, after one year in early disease, after two, sorry, after two years in early disease, and it was feasible. So I guess that this would be feasible and would be a major advantage. Although, as I said, you know, in this trial, the safety was not different, but perhaps on the long term, it would make a difference. Okay, well, we know that in um, baricitinib trial, Tom Takeuchi published the tapering four down to two, a certain percentage flared, but they could be recaptured. So that was, yep. that was nice. So what about some take home messages for the clinician from this particular trial of early disease? To trial that in our country, you have to fail two drugs before you can get to a biologic. Yep. So we aren't even allowed to look at this population really. Yep. But can you give us some take homes for the clinician? But first of all, uh, for clinicians, I think you have to see the data, and I think the, effic the efficacy is okay, the safety is, I would say, very okay. Secondly, the way you are going to handle this has to do with local guidance, and local guidance is dependent of reimbursement and pricing. So I think uh, this is a, would be a very good drug to bring in a place earlier as we do now. And as you know, uh, look to the EULA guidance of starting with methotrexate and tapering glucocorticoids and really tapering glucocorticoids we not only tapering but stop <laughs> yeah then this drug could be a very good candidate I think to come in this very early phase where you have methotrexate increasing well tolerated being efficacious but not sufficient when you taper glucocorticoids and, 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 and over there you should look and all the rest is pricing yeah, and, and, and this is local, uh, let's say, local decisions. Rules. And I think that um, combo always beats mono, but do you think there'll come a day, perhaps in the future, with generics and off patents and things in the future, where people might start with a jack instead of methotrexate because they're so well tolerated? Well, it's, it's, if it is well tolerated, Yes, and I think Phil make, would make a, 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 a point here. If you look to other checks, there might be perhaps an issue. And I, I refer to the recent published trial comparing upadacitinib versus abatacept, where you see a difference in safety. And, and if this is the case, then of course, I would not think that it is always the case right. that you could start this. And just to finish, your thoughts on the oral surveillance tofacitinib safety study? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's actually already, uh, you know, again, in the perception. Just by chance, I will receive a phone call this afternoon here from a journalist in New York to have more information. So this is seen in the world. Secondly, I think this is also because of, you know, 
20 years ago, we did not have any uh, opportunity to treat patients correctly. Yeah? Now we have 15 to 20 opportunities to treat patients. So I think this makes, this sets the standard of safety a little bit higher than 20 years ago. We would have taken this, let's say, few side effects more 20 years ago, probably. Now it becomes more difficult and we will see, uh, you know, I think safety will, will pop up as the most important point in decision-making because most of these drugs are very effective, yeah? So the safety will make a difference, specifically if we, you would look to early use of these drugs. And this is as well for biologicals as well for JAKs, I think. And just to finish, um, you have access to everything. You get acute rheumatoid arthritis tomorrow. What do you take, Renee Westhoven? Well, I think, I, I, I honestly, I, I would take methotrexate and tapering glucocorticoids. <laughs> and if it is not controlled in three, four months, I will switch to a jack or etanacept. Thank you very much. Um, so thank you again for your time today, Renee. This has been the CSF Author Interview Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, you can get detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and give us some feedback and let us know what you think. Thank you so much for your time, Renee. Thank you. Take care.